regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. Hey, everyone, and welcome. I am your host, Jacques Hopkins, and this is episode 203 of The Online Course Show. In just a couple of minutes, I'll be joined by Corey Huff from TheAbundantArtist.com. Corey has been helping artists to monetize their art through his courses since 2009. We first reached out to Corey a couple of years ago after my assistant stumbled upon his work. And Corey actually very quickly responded and kindly agreed to come on the show. But due to an oversight, I don't know how it happened, uh, I didn't follow up. So I talk about having great systems on this podcast from time to time. And this is an instance where my system broke down and I just never responded to Corey, even though he agreed to come on the show. But fast forward to just a few days ago. And my sister, who is a very, very accomplished and successful artist, she's got a physical studio in downtown past Christiane, Mississippi. So for those of you maybe on the Gulf Coast, definitely go check out her studio. Or uh, you can find her online at denisehopkinsfineart.com. And she was mentioning to me very recently that she really admired this brand called The Abundant Artist because it struck a chord with her as a positive twist on uh, the, the phrase you'll hear a lot, the starving artist. And that she bought a course from this person that ran at Corey back in 2014, which was really a huge part to her success as an artist. And I was like, wow, that sounds like an amazing person to have on the podcast. And that's when I went back in my records and discovered we had already done this. We had already reached out to Corey and he responded and I never got back with him. But I did follow up with him. He graciously still agreed to come on the podcast. And so Corey is in fact featured in this episode. And man, he is going to walk us through what it's been like running a successful online course business over the past 14 years years and just the evolution in the industry that he's witnessed. You'll also hear the vital role that his blog has played in driving course sales. You'll hear a game-changing piece of advice that Corey personally made to my sister back in 2014, and it was through like an automated email sequence he had set up, but he had a personal touch in there that was really, really cool that I think we can all take something away from. And of course, there's plenty more takeaways from this conversation with Corey. Before we dive in, a quick word from our sponsor of today's episode, and that is Deadline Funnel. Deadline Funnel, look, it's the gold standard in implementing evergreen deadlines for your funnels and offers. Simply put, it's a tool that you can use in your business to make more core sales, and who doesn't want that? Get a double free trial exclusively for listeners of the online course show by going to deadlinefunnel.com slash OCG. Now let's jump into my conversation with Corey Huff from theabundantartist.com. Hi, Corey. Welcome to the online course show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. It's it's my pleasure. Uh, look, we're we're just we're just meeting here, and and let's say that we were meeting in a different setting. You know, it wasn't this official podcast like this, and we're at like a party or something. I'm like, oh, well, Corey, tell me what you do. What do you do? What, how would you respond to that? Well, I'd say, uh, oh, I, I work in marketing. 
I have done a bunch of different stuff uh, right now. I own a business where we teach artists about online marketing and the fine art industry, the business side of the fine art industry. Um, I do a fair bit of consulting uh, in a variety of places. Uh, my background is in marketing tech, uh, VC-backed marketing tech firms. And I spend quite a bit of time uh, doing some consulting for uh, course creators and other companies that want to improve their marketing technology. That's uh, that's several things. Where where do you spend most of your time? Is it with helping the artist or is that mo mostly a passive business at this point? I wouldn't call it passive because it's not like uh, it's it's not like investing or it's not uh, like owning real estate. Like those are those are the things I think of when I think of passive income. Right. Uh, and even real estate's not passive if you're like a landlord. Uh, I have a whole, I, I hate the term passive income. We'll talk about that later. Um, but no, it's, uh, it, it is a relatively small portion of what I do overall. I spend a few hours a week on the abundant artist. Uh, but also I, um, I do quite a bit of consulting. Um, I also work for, uh, currently work for a company called Discogs. Um, and I do some, uh, marketing tech stuff for them. Uh, and it's, it's really fun. I get, uh, I get a wide breadth of experiences and I get to see behind the scenes in a lot of different small businesses. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I run my own course business, uh, teaching piano, and then I do this where I've, you know, talked to other course creators and do some, uh, consulting with people with, with online courses. So, uh, you and me are, we're, we're, we're similar. We're similar here. This is pretty cool. All right. So, um, the abundant artist, how did, how did you get into courses and wanting to help artists? Yeah, it was accidental initially. Uh, and then I saw the, the sort of path forward, but back in 2007, I graduated college, uh, into the great recession mm. and I was casting around looking for a job and I, just landed a job at this uh, brand new marketing agency in Portland, Oregon that doesn't exist anymore. But I initially started there on the sales team because I was uh, talkative and I knew things about the internet. And that was about as much qualification as you needed back then because uh, we were... Yeah, Real cool. No, what was, was your degree in? Just curious. Your degree. Oh, 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 I have a BFA in theater. Uh, in so theater. I, in okay. theater, yeah, right. I've been an act, I've been an actor since I was a little kid. I was a, in a traveling, uh, Shakespeare troupe as a teenager, dude, my life and my career is all over the place. Like I just, I'm, uh, I have ADHD. And so I just like ping all <laughs> over the place and just kind of follow whatever interests me. And it's, it's kind of worked out. Um, so I, I got a, I got a BFA in theater and my wife and I, we knew we didn't want to stay in Salt Lake City, so we moved to Portland, Oregon. Um, and this is right before the show Portlandia came out. So uh, when they were like, Portland's where young people go to retire, my wife and I just laughed and laughed and laughed because uh, we arrived in Portland with like $500 in our bank account. And, uh, you know, I, I just lucked into this uh, marketing agency job and they were selling Google ads 
uh, Google ad management services. And so I started out just selling that and eventually moved over to uh, the corporate side. Uh, and we started a Facebook ad services program. Uh, so we were, you know, selling millions of dollars worth of Google ads, managing uh, millions of dollars worth of Google ads. And then we added Facebook to that. So I was there for about two and a half years. And on the side, I was blogging because back in 2007, like uh, if you were terminally online, like I was, uh, you know, this is right before Twitter launched. And so at that time, everybody was blogging. And so I started a blog and it was just basically me trying to figure out like what I was going to do with my career and my life. And as I was writing about uh, creative projects I was working on and uh, marketing stuff that I was learning, uh, some of my friends who were artists and performers uh, asked me to help them sell tickets to their shows, sell some of their stuff. And that turned into me doing some consulting and teaching. Uh, and eventually I was like, I can't keep doing this, like teaching the basics over and over again, one-to-one. -one. And so I was just like, I'll, I'll just do some courses. And that eventually turned into what the abundant artist is now, uh, where we, you know, we've been in business. The abundant artist has been in business, uh, since 2009 and we've helped thousands and thousands of artists, uh, learn the business side of running an art business. And we have uh, several hundred uh, artists who are full-time professional artists uh, making a living from their work who've been through our programs. And, you know, I don't, I don't take credit for all of their success because they did all the work and they learned how to do it, but we did help them in some small way. And it's really fun to see the results of that over the years. Dude, Corey, my sister's in that number, man. I know. My you just sister, told me that. I love it. <laughs> yeah, she bought a course from you in 2014. She was um <laughs> she was a high school English teacher. Um mm -hmm. now she had a degree in both English and art. Uh she's mm -hmm. you know, she was extremely talented. Um but I as you know, I, I'm guessing that in general, you know, artists don't always know the business side, right? They're good at their craft of art, and I think that's probably the foundation of your business. But she was looking for help on how, look, how do I make this thing that I'm passionate about successful? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she found your stuff. And I got to tell you, one thing she told me um, was one of the most, most helpful things that you ever did for her was on your initial welcome email. Not even, this was before she bought any courses from you, okay? She told me this, and I would love to hear more about this email and if it's impacted other people, but she said in your very first email, like after she subscribed to your email list, you simply asked like, what's your biggest uh, barrier, roadblock, struggle, something to that effect? And she replied to you and said um, that, I forget exactly what her response was, but just like she didn't know um, what to do. There's all these things she could be doing. She doesn't, you know, um, where, where should she do this? Should she do that? And basically you said, uh, oh no, no, I'm getting confused. Like she didn't know how to do certain things. And your, your advice was just start, like, just do it. You got it. You got to get started and start moving forward in a certain direction. And that's, that's the best thing you can do. Even though you haven't figured out the entire path, just start. And she said that that was such valuable advice at the time for where she was. And I uh, was very appreciative of that. I love that. Uh, 
I I I love that. I said it. I love it. Um, that is funny. I, I I always it's it's very very fun to hear about somebody that we worked with nine years ago who's yeah. still going strong. So I love that. Um, and yeah, like I have never been somebody who hesitates to just get started. That's never been my problem. Uh, so it's it's easy for me to encourage other people to say, you know, just take a few steps forward because I, it's, it's so normal for me now to do that, that I know that it's not scary. Like the, the scary thing about getting started is, is all the, it's the mental gain. Right. Uh, and, and when you're just getting started in a business or with a new hobby or in a new relationship, it's, it's just, starting is uh it once you start doing things the the things that don't work become apparent very quickly right uh if you spend time growing your art business spend time talking to people about your art you very quickly learn uh what people respond to and what people don't respond to and uh it's it's much easier to get information that way than to read a book or uh take a class or do something else you just need to start talking to people about your work i think it's very similar for just starting an online business or an online course business right people mm -hmm. come to me all the time and they want to get started but they're afraid of you know starting um you know a tiktok or instagram like uh or youtube a podcast um, they're afraid to be on camera in their marketing videos or on their course videos themselves. And it causes them to procrastinate or to just never do it. And so in the same way, I think just like just moving forward, even though, it, even if it's awful, I don't know about you, Corey, but like the first video I ever made awful, terrible. horrible, terrible. I saved yeah. it just so I could always <laughs> look back. Sometimes I'll look back at it. I'm like, who is this guy? Like zero, like confidence on camera. Like, um, not, I mean, not that I'm world-class at it now, but it's, it's simply runtime, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I wasn't like a natural at, uh, you know, being a podcaster or being a piano teacher or anything like this. It was, it was runtime. And so I think the advice to just get started in a lot of things is probably good advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always the best advice. Like if you're going to, uh, I don't know, do something dangerous, then maybe learn a little bit about it first. Jumping but, out of airplanes. Yeah. If you're going to jump out of an airplane, maybe, maybe talk to somebody who's done it before. Uh, but <laughs> so much of this stuff is just trial and error. And back when I was starting, it was all trial and error, right? Uh, in 2009, when I launched our first online course, uh, the person who encouraged me to do that, uh, had previously sold audio cassette tapes that were courses. And so he was encouraging me to do an audio only course, which is what the first version of our course was. It was audio only. And it was just me talking, uh, through the various aspects of the course. And of course it's, we've added videos since then, and we've added worksheets and a whole bunch of other stuff and real like learning management systems. But the first version back in 2009 was audio only. And, uh, one of the people that helped me early on, she literally like interviewed me to help me write my sales page, uh, all over audio. And we just figured it out just stumbled our way through. Amazing. What, what, um, what kind of tech were you using back then? I mean, I got started in 2013 and, and, 
uh, all the amazing course platforms that exist today, you know, mostly didn't exist back then. I can't imagine even nine years prior to that. So you're telling me it was all audio files, but you still have to like password protect it and make sure only people that are paying you money. I see you smiling over there. It was like, all just was WordPress just something pages, janky? It was all just that? WordPress pages. It was just password protected WordPress pages. Yeah. Uh, we were literally just posting the audio files to a server and uh, putting up a password protected WordPress page with a link to that file. And uh, people, when they paid via PayPal, uh, you know, we embedded, I literally embedded a PayPal button. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if PayPal still does this, but back in the day, you took a PayPal button and embedded it on a website. And we just put that button up there. People signed up via the button. And uh, then we sent them a, a link to that page. Um, I think I was on MailChimp back then. Uh, and we just set it, set it up to auto send to them after they signed up for the course. And uh, they would just go and listen to the audio file and, you know, take notes on their own. There was no LMS page or anything like that. How was the, how was like the first launch? Was this like an instant success for you or what? No, uh, no. I mean, the first launch was, uh, I, and I got really great advice for this is the first launch that I did was a, a free trial, right? It was, I'm going to do a course. I've never done this before but I have this area of expertise that I want to teach. If you want to join me for free, uh, you can. And I took applications uh, so that I could make sure I got students who were kind of a perfect fit. Uh, And I made sure that they were okay with the fact that uh, I was still building the material and had never taught the course before, right? So uh, that first version was just a test. and we iterated and continued working on it for a few years. Uh, and it was probably about a year or so. So probably, um, two or three versions of the course in, uh, like two or three cohorts in before I started to feel like, Oh, okay. Like I feel pretty good about this. I think I, I think I know what we're supposed to be doing, uh, at this point. It sounds like you knew a little more about what you were doing when you were getting started versus versus me back uh, back when I was getting started. Who who were who were you learning from? How did you get all this great advice? Um. Okay, so you know, I started the blog in two thousand seven. So, uh, in two thousand seven, I was writing a blog, and Twitter had just launched. So I was on Twitter. I was one of the early people on Twitter. And, uh, there was a local meetup here in Portland called beer and blog. And every Friday we would all just get together at this pub, uh, RIP the green dragon. And we would get together just to like work on WordPress stuff together. Uh, it was all a bunch of people that worked in tech and marketing and, you know, some of us were self-employed, some of us were full-time employees, but we just got together every Friday to like figure stuff out on WordPress and, uh, help each other. And so early on, like a lot of those people were helping me with WordPress on the, on the technical side. And then, um, the sort of the Dan Kennedy crew, uh, was some of the people that I was learning marketing from and, uh, not Dan Kennedy himself, but some of the people that worked with him and for him, um, I was following their blogs and on their email newsletters and they want, they held an event in Los Angeles and, uh, I was so, uh, like my, my full-time job that I had paid me so little, I couldn't afford to go to the conference, 
but they were giving away scholarships. Uh, so I wrote a scholarship essay and I won. Uh, so I literally slept on somebody's hotel room floor and uh, got into the conference for free and uh, learned a ton about online courses and not, not online courses, but uh, info information courses or info courses. Um, and then also, um, I went to college, not went to college with, but during, while I was in college, I met uh, a friend named Jason Van Orden. And if you know, Jason, uh, he created a company called internet business mastery. And so I knew Jason before he started IBM and we were really good friends and so Jason was launching IBM probably just a year or two before I started The Abundant Artist. So he was a couple years ahead of me in the process. And so he was sharing with me what he was learning. And uh, we would play video games together and talk about business and all that kind of stuff. So I was young and hungry and broke uh, and doing everything I could to learn from people that would have me. Yeah, sounds like you had a great circle. That You're familiar with Pat Flynn? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Pat Flynn in the very early days was learning from who you just mentioned. Correct. Does that sound right? Yeah. Uh, so I remember when Pat left his, like when he launched, uh, his lead certification book, Mm -hmm. uh, not book, but ebook. Uh, Uh, I think it was an ebook. It might've been a course, but I think it was an ebook. It was an Um, ebook. Yeah. And Jason was telling me, uh, so this, this Pat Flynn dude, uh, put out an ebook and it blew up and we were, we were like, wow, that's so cool. And he, I, I don't, he made like, uh, a few, like $10,000 or something like yeah. that, like relatively small. And we were like, that's so cool. That is, uh, you know, good for him. And then he absolutely blew up and, uh, that was super fun for him to, uh, like Pat was back in that day. I don't even remember. This was maybe like 2010 or something like that. Um, when, when, uh, Pat really started blowing up and becoming a huge thing and he was telling everybody about Jason and internet business mastery. Um, that was, that was really fun to be, uh, like behind the scenes and see what was happening there with IBM and, uh, to be like, I went to a conference in somewhere. I went to some conference and, uh, Pat was there and Jason was there and, uh, uh, EO fire, John Lee Dumas from yep. EO fire. Uh, a lot of those guys, uh, we were all at a conference together and, um, we were all just starting, like our businesses were all just starting to take off. And, uh, Jason was sort of the, the big man on campus. And, uh, we all went out to dinner one night and there were like 20 of us, uh, at this conference, just hanging out and talking about online business. It was, those are really fun days. Cause it was so early on that we were all just figuring stuff out. Man, you're you're one of the you're one of the OGs. I, I uh, am friends with the OGs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to be. You yeah. know, I I read uh, Four Hour Work Week in 2008. That's when I, I graduated. So it sounds. Like I also pretty... read Four Hour Work Week in 2008. Yeah, there you yeah. go. That's so. That's yeah. what I was. I was a senior uh, in college, and was getting my degree in engineering, and mm-hmm. um, had already had my job lined up and everything, but I was like, holy smokes, like I want this world, right? All these cool yeah. things that he's doing. Um, I never really aspired to be an entrepreneur until until I read that book. And so I read that book, I go work my full-time job and and I start diving into like Smart Passive Income podcasts and uh, John Lee Dumas's podcast. And so I was, I was in that whole world and I tried several things. Like I tried to make an app and I tried 
uh, a blog and I tried a lot of things that never made a dollar for me until I, I um, created my piano course in 2013. And that's the one that, uh, that actually took off for me. So it took five years after reading that book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and actually now that I think about it, I read, I read four hour work week in 2007 because I picked it up in the bookstore the summer after I graduated in Utah before we, before we mm -hmm. moved away from Utah. So, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, 2007, I read that book. 2009 is when I started that blog and, uh, 2013 is when I left my full-time day job to run the abundant artist full-time. And, uh, in, uh, in amongst all of that, I, I also started a bunch of stuff that didn't work. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tell me about uh, one of them. Uh, okay. So I had a blog called a good husband and it was, you know, I was just blogging to blog and, and kind of like, I, I process my thoughts best when I'm writing. So, uh, I was basically just writing in public about what it meant to be a good husband and what I was learning about that. And I think at that time I had been married like six or seven years or something like that. So I was still young and didn't really know like much about relationships. Um, but I was trying to learn and, uh, it, the blog, the readership took off. It got picked up by the mommy blogger community. And so we took off cause we were, there just weren't a lot of blogs about being a husband. There were a lot of blogs about being a, a mom or a wife, but very few about being a husband and the readership really took off. But, uh, you know, my intended audience was other dudes, but the, people who responded were all their, all their wives. And there were a lot of people like sending me really sensitive, private, terrible situations and asking for advice. And I was like, I am not even 30. I don't have, like, I have no qualifications to answer these questions. And so I shut the blog down. I was like, I, I love you guys, but I can't like, I am not a marriage counselor. I am not qualified in any way. And I, I think I, you know, I briefly tried to partner with a, a guy who was a blogger who was a marriage counselor, but he was only licensed to practice in one state. So I, you know, we really couldn't help people. Uh, and I, I felt bad about it, but we shut it down because, uh, it was just like stressing me that fork out. <laughs> That's really interesting, Corey, because, you know, some people, struggle with just what 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 is my thing what is my thing i'm going to help people with and um maybe a good lens to look through is what what kinds of things do you want to like if people are asking you what feels good about helping them with right and mm -hmm. some people would love to help with very um sensitive you know marital relational topics obviously there's plenty of you know jobs and occupations around that but for you clearly you enjoyed responding to inquiries about starting an art business. And that felt so much better than this other thing. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to help people. Right. But, uh, I didn't, I just didn't feel qualified to do so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so is there a point or I'm sure there is, but like, is there, is there a, a specific point you could talk about where you knew like, okay, this abundant artist thing is, is like working. Like this is a legit thing now. Yeah, there is. Um, so we started selling courses 2009. Um, I had a full-time day job. Um, I switched jobs in 2010. I was working for a VC backed tech company that doesn't exist anymore. And I 
I was going back and forth on, you know, when do I want to leave my job and go full time with the business? It's doing pretty well. Uh, it's generating enough income that I probably could live off of it. It's, you know, it was roughly equivalent with my day job salary. And, uh, I kind of hemmed and hawed around on that for about two and a half years. Um, cause my day job was also interesting. So I wasn't like, uh, ready to ready to leave right um and then in 2013 things had just kept growing and growing and then one day i opened my email in the morning and uh, i had like another coaching inquiry on top of all the courses i also do some one-on-one coaching and uh and i had a panic attack because i couldn't figure out like when i could possibly work with this person because i was so busy because i was basically working an hour or two each morning at like 6 a.m. and then going to my job and then working in the evenings for two or three or five hours. Uh, and so it was just like overwhelming. I was, I was working probably 70 or 80 hours a week and, uh, I had a panic attack and, and my wife and I had already discussed like, okay, we're, I'm going to quit my job that summer. Uh, and I, this was probably like February and I called her, uh, from work. I like found a closet to hide in and I called her and I was like, I'm having a panic attack. I need you to talk me down. She did. And, uh, and I was like, I think I need to quit my job. And she said, okay. And I was like, really? <laughs> so we talked about it for a minute and she's like, yeah, I know you're fine. Like I know we'll be fine. And, you know, thank, thank God for her because she was so supportive. Right. And, uh, so I went in, I talked to my boss that day and I said, I'm, I'm leaving. And, uh, we worked out a transition plan and I was gone in less than a month. Uh, so then we spent the summer traveling and just had a great time and I was off to the races. Has it been, uh, all rainbows and butterflies ever since then? All rainbows and butterflies and no problems. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's been good. It's been really good, but, uh, there's certainly been challenges and, uh, you know, just because you're a full-time business owner certainly does not mean that there's not like real challenges. Um, I, uh, I've loved the journey, but some of it's hard. Is there anything specific that you would, wouldn't mind talking about, whether it's like, you know, how to manage the finances or, or, or struggles with running a, a team, you know, tr mm -hmm. trying to, trying to outsource things, anything specific come to mind? You know, the, the one, one of the biggest one that I'm still, uh, paying for as it were, <laughs> uh, is tax, tax struggles. So, uh, my wife's real good at handling money. So she, uh, when we incorporated the business, she was a 50% owner, right? And, uh, she handled all the taxes and finances, did a great job. Uh, and then in 2017, she became very ill and, uh, we didn't realize it was sort of gradual, right? And we didn't realize how much she was struggling, uh, until probably mid 2018 or so. And then we realized, oh, like our, our taxes and finances are uh, a bit of a mess. So we hired a CPA and then that CPA didn't do a, the, the best job. Um, and it turned out that there were some taxes in the city that we weren't aware of that we were supposed to pay. Uh, so, and the CPA didn't know about it. And, and so we're still like dealing with the ramifications of all of that. And it's been four plus years, uh, since we, since we started. Um, so it, that is the thing that I am probably the worst at is like the, 
like filling out forms is basically kryptonite to me. Like, and, and doing taxes is just filling out really complicated forms. And my brain just like looks at a form and just shuts down. So, uh, it, but that was a hard one. Um, beyond that, you know, like hiring has always been, uh, an interesting challenge, right? Like you, it's very difficult to, uh, get those first few hires, right. Uh, because they have such an impact on the business. Right. Um, and I did a lot, I made a lot of the classic mistakes that I think people were making at the time. Like I tried to hire VAs in to do jobs that were a little more complex than what you should hire an offshore VA to do. Uh, some of those things, um, there's lots, there's lots of dumb things that I did. <laughs> So fast forward to today, like how, how does, how does the business make money? It's, I know on your website, you've got some courses. It looks like you've got some one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Courses, uh, one of, uh, so probably 60 or 70% of our business is, uh, online courses. Uh, another 10, 20%, depending on the year is uh one-on-one -on -one coaching. And that is everything from like one-on-one -on -one with an individual artist to, uh, me consulting with artist organizations that are trying to figure out how to bring more attention to what they do. And that, that could be, uh, like a local art, um, collective or gallery, like, right. That's literally just a retail shop, um, to, you know, I, there's a handful of artists we work with who are, uh, six and seven figure earners who we are, we're helping them work through hiring issues and inventory management and logistics and some other, you know, stuff that happens when you get to that level. Um, and then a small portion, probably 10, 15% of our revenue comes from affiliate revenue. So we do reviews of tools for artists, online marketing tools and other things. And we collect a small affiliate commission off of those reviews. Okay. So I'm, I'm at your site now, click on courses. You have several courses here. Mm -hmm. Is it as simple as people come in here and buying or surely you've got some, some, some fun marketing funnels happening somewhere, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, so you could, anybody who wants to, you can go there and buy the courses, but very, very few people come in the door that way. Right. Like you, you, you can't just put up a website and be like, I have a course and then people are miraculously it only, buy it. It, that doesn't happen. it doesn't happen. Easier, Corey. It, I mean, it happens, but it's pretty rare. Uh, so we have a, uh, a series. I mean, the site's uh, like 13, like 15 years old. Right. And it's gone through many, many evolutions, but, um, right now, most people sign up for our content library and the biggest chunk of that is because people want, like, we have these free resources on, uh, the best print on demand websites, the best artist websites, uh, artist website services, um, and some other like art niche specific resources. Uh, so people will sign up for our free content library that way. They give us their email address and then we will, uh, send them emails to let them know about our courses. Uh, and then we do, and that's all automated on the back end. Um, and then we do a weekly newsletter, uh, which is probably, uh, not exactly weekly, but like two or three times a month, uh, depending on when I get to it. Uh, so that newsletter is usually like, oh, here's the latest blog post. Here's uh, a podcast that I appeared on and, uh, we're doing a live coaching session along with these courses at this time. Uh, and then when we, we do probably two or three times a year, we do like a significant course launch 
where we do a whole story based uh, email sequence. Um, sequence isn't the right word, but like a series of emails. Um, sequence, I think, implies that it's automated, but it's me writing a series of emails. Uh, just talking about what's happening in the industry right now and, uh, why these courses matter to artists who want to learn how to, how to sell their art. And that's where those, those big launches are, uh, where most of our enrollments come from. So uh, let's clarify one thing with that is that when you're launching new courses, these these launches you're talking about uh, we haven't launched a, we haven't launched a new course in a long time uh no these are these are uh launches in the sense that we are uh market doing a marketing campaign around a specific course okay so give me an example like what's the what's the last launch that you did which course was it um so we did a a launch for how to sell your art online 101 which is our okay. biggest course uh in february and uh if you're on our email list, then over the course of two weeks, uh, you got a series of emails where I wrote a story about uh, why 2023 is going to be a weird year for online courses and for art sales, because uh, we're all well into the post-pandemic dip now. So uh, everybody who jumped on online marketing in early 2020 when the pandemic hit saw a huge spike in their business. And then uh, in probably mid 2022 or so the post pandemic letdown happened and all that traffic, like everybody stopped, everybody started chopping offline again. Um, and every, like you can see for the abundant artists, like you can see the graph of our website traffic. Right. And it like huge spike in April of 2020, uh, in a huge spike in April of 2020, and then a gradual fall off. And I've seen probably a dozen uh, graphs like that for various online course businesses. Yeah. A hundred percent. My piano yeah. business exactly the same way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I, I wrote about how 2023 was going to be a weird year because uh, all these artists who thought that they were amazing because they started doing online marketing back in 2020 uh, are going to discover that uh people want to shop offline again and people want to go to retail shops and want to buy in person. So you need to consider going out of your house and, uh, and, but even if you are going to sell your art online, here's some things you should do. And that's what the course was about. That is fair. So that's a, that's a way to kind of set it up and get people engaged and interested in a course that you made years ago. I'm on, you know, like I said, I'm on your website and I clicked on that course and I could buy it for $400 right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So what was their incentive to buy in February? Uh, live coaching. So we don't do discounts. Uh, we don't offer like a 10% discount if you buy it now kind of a thing. We don't do it. We don't do any of that. Um, and that's partially leading our market. Like art is a luxury product and discounting it is counterproductive, uh, when you, when it comes to luxury marketing. Um, and we can get into the nuances of discounted pricing on luxury products if you want. But, uh, the, the incentive for signing up back in February was live coaching. So as you're going through the course materials, we did weekly live calls and, uh, talked like literally talked through and diagrammed through on, on zoom whiteboards, uh, artists, different businesses and what they needed to work on. So if I bought the course right now, I wouldn't get the live coaching. That is correct. Interesting. So I always say there's three key forms of urgency with, with selling an online course. You can, you can do it based on the availability. Uh, meaning, you know, most of the time it's not available and during launches it's available. Secondly, we can do discounts and third, we can have uh, limited time bonuses. 
And I see that third one the least normally, but it mm. sounds like that's the one that you've you've employed. Um, I'm guessing it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that you maybe don't like the other two options. You already mentioned not well, liking discounting. Yeah. Uh, so what was the what was the first one? Like just the availability. Oh, uh, I mean, there's no reason. There's no real reason to say a course isn't available. That's just artificial scarcity. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and I, I dislike, uh, artificial things and fake things. Um, there's a whole thing in the, in the art industry around, um, limited edition prints. Uh, there's no reason to have a limited edition print unless it's like a woodblock print or a screen print where there's actual, there's, there's an actual physical process to mm -hmm. creating the layers of that print. But if you're just talking about something that just rolls off a printer, uh, there, like there's no limited edition print, uh, in, in that sense. And so I, I, that's what we teach artists and we try to practice what we preach. No, that's, that's, uh, that's fantastic. I did the, um, availability as my urgency for several years because that's, that was the first form of urgency I ever even implemented in my business and implementing any sort of urgency is really what made it take off. Mm -hmm. but I feel the same way you do now where it's like, it's a digital product. Like obviously like it's available. Right. And so I switched to about two years ago or so I switched to the discount model. And the reason I actually fought that for so long is cause, um, I guess it's similar to what you're saying, but so many just marketing gurus mentioned like, don't discount your products. Don't discount your products. Right. Nothing to do with art. But I get what you're saying. Like you're in the art industry, and I can understand. Like if you're teaching, hey, let's let's not discount your art. Then you're going to also not discount your courses. Yeah. But it turns out that uh, you know, offering a limited time discount on my piano courses worked out really really well. People in my audience appreciate a discount. I appreciate a good discount, and yeah. uh, this has sold helped it sell a little bit better than the urgency being the uh, uh, the availability being the urgency. Yeah. The bonus being the part of the urgency, I think is completely dependent on how good the bonus is. Yep. It sounds like the one you're, you're doing is pretty, uh, pretty compelling. Depends on whether or not you think I'm a good coach. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say like the majority of your sales in a given year come from these live launches? Yeah. Okay. All right. So my sister bought, uh, your Facebook course in 2014. Um, <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> it was, do you still sell a Facebook course? We don't No. Uh, there's, it, there's so many like how to do Facebook courses now that it's redundant. Like there's no need for us to do that. And Facebook has their, their own, like the, what's it called? Facebook blueprint. Like you can literally just go to Facebook and study the blueprint course for free. Like why, why would we offer that? Um, and also, uh, our audience, uh, generally speaking, most artists don't want to become Facebook marketing experts and Facebook advertising is so complex now that it is a specialized field in and of itself. And I don't feel like selling a hundred dollar course or whatever is going to help somebody be able to effectively spend money on Facebook ads to make money with their art. So she, 
I asked her if, if there was anything specific she thought I should ask you because she's mm-hmm. actually taken your courses and benefited greatly from them. So the next two things I want to ask you are, are coming from her. And so mm-hmm. on that note about Facebook, here's one of her questions. She said, how does he keep up with an ever-changing art world and the fact that some courses become less relevant? For example, mm-hmm. Facebook isn't as dominant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So Facebook isn't as dominant. We'll talk, we'll tackle that one first. So Facebook is less dominant now, but Instagram is still the primary like online marketing channel for artists, which you have a course for, uh, we do have a course, but the course that we sell is not about advertising on Instagram. It's about how to, how to sell to your followers on Instagram. Right. And it's more about, um, how to, how to interact with people on Instagram and how to uh, get people who are interested in your work to DM you and to get a conversation going and how to take those DM conversations to an actual sales conversation. Uh, so it's more of, it's literally just like basic sales skills and how those show up on Instagram. And it is specialized for the art industry because Instagram is so important to the art industry. But how do you just follow up question on that? Like, how do you know how to sell art on Instagram? Great question. Uh, I work with artists uh, like multiple times a week. Uh, We have uh, coaching groups, uh, artists that we work with who uh, show up and and do like shared group calls uh, and artists that I work with one on one. And these are all artists who are uh, six and seven figure who have six and seven figure businesses. Uh, so we get into, in those discussions, we get into the nuances of Instagram marketing. So you probably use some of those like case studies and examples in your course, mm-hmm. I'd imagine. Yep. All right. So here's, here's the other question from her. How does he keep up with the ideas uh, for his courses? What does he think the difference between his best and least selling courses? I wish I knew the answer to that. Um, okay. So how do I keep up? Um, it's hard. This is, this is maybe the hardest part about running the business over the amount of time that I've been in business. Right. Um, online marketing changes fast one. Uh, so we're teaching courses in online marketing. So I have to just sort of keep up. Right. Um, I am lucky in the sense that because I do a lot of consulting in the online course industry, as well as, uh, work with companies that are outside of the online course industry, just in my day-to-day consulting work and marketing work, I touch a lot of different tools and, uh, interact with a lot of different people. Uh, and so I see things from, you know, teeny tiny businesses up to, you know, highly scaled, uh, vast reach businesses. And so I see a lot of stuff. Um, and I kind of bring that back to the courses that we build. And, uh, I think earlier I mentioned that we haven't introduced a new course in a long time. I do want to clarify that we update our courses, right? Uh, so our, our biggest selling course, uh, how to sell your art online 101. We did a complete overhaul of the course in March of 2022, uh, where I, we literally re-recorded every lesson and, uh, changed some of the curriculum and, uh, made, made some updates. Um, that course is a more broad, like 
the basics of marketing course. Uh, so it doesn't have to be updated as often, but we do still do these periodic overhauls of the course. Um, <clears throat> so all of that. And then in the art industry, uh, for the art industry specific side of it, in addition to like the one-on-one -on -one coaching and the small group coaching that we do, uh, which is sort of our, like our R and D process. Um, we all, like I subscribe to, I don't know, probably 50 artist newsletters. So I have a pretty good idea of what artists are doing with their email newsletters and what they're doing with their social media. Uh, and then I follow a lot of the big art magazines and blogs. Um, so I just have a pulse on what's happening in the industry. Who do you, uh, what do you enjoy more helping people with their art business or helping people with their online course business? Depends on the day. Uh, it depends on how frustrated I am or, uh, what's working. Um, I like having big wins. Uh, so the art stuff is really fun because like people are so passionate about their art, right? Like people love selling whatever their art is, um, or at least they love making it. And it's really fun to talk to an artist and have them be like, Oh my gosh, I just sold $30,000 worth of art at this show. Uh, that means that I can quit my job and et cetera, et cetera. Like that is, those are some of the most fun conversations that I have. Um, that said, it's also really fun to work with companies that scale and art businesses for the most part don't scale. Um, you know, you can, you can sell a lot of prints uh, and there's a handful of artists I know who sell thousands and thousands of prints a year. Uh, but for the most part, uh, they, they don't scale into, you know, multi seven figure businesses. Uh, but when you're talking about online course businesses, some of these online course businesses can be, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and even other businesses that I've worked on can, can reach millions or hundreds of millions of people. And when you're talking about, oh, we made a 0.1% increase in uh conversion rate on this website that reaches tens of millions of people that is a different experience and it's pretty fun and pretty satisfying what kinds of things are you noticing um these days like with online course businesses the ones you've seen you know not just not just the art stuff mm -hmm. um what's what's kind of working in online course businesses today it's <sighs> a great question it's a great question uh, i think it's it's a weird and tough time, which I knew it would be at the beginning of the year. Um, I'm curious to hear you answer this as well, but I'll give my answer. Um, so because of the post-pandemic dip, uh, a lot of course businesses uh, have realized that they've overhired and are having to cut back or let some people go. Uh, that's happened to a number of, of online course companies that I know. Um, and then on top of that, uh, there's a general like web traffic apocalypse where the death of third party cookies and other trends like that mean that uh, you're seeing less traffic on your website, even if the actual traffic is the same. You're seeing less of it because, uh, because of do not track protocols in web browsers and other things like that. So, uh, people are having to guess more, uh, and, uh, make inferences off of their web traffic rather than know exactly what's happening. 
which is really scary for people who didn't do marketing, uh, before the early days of the internet, um, myself included. Uh, so those are some, some of the big challenges. And then what I see working is, uh, people who are staying connected with their core audience know where their audience is going and what they need. Right. So, uh, it's really appealing to think, oh, I can run an online course business and it's all just automated and I send a few emails and I make money. But if you're not having actual conversations with your best customers, uh, and it could be your biggest spending customers or your most regular customers, but having regular conversations with those people, uh, and, and literally it could be, you know, video chat conversations or in real life conversations or even just email. Like if you're not staying with those people and knowing who they are and what's going on in their lives and what their real concerns are, it's easy to lose pulse on the business and, and not be telling them things or selling them things that are relevant to them right now. There's a lot of uncertainty. It's like professional economists are all saying, this is the weirdest, this is the weirdest uh, economy we've ever seen. Right. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And I just, I think the companies that are going to make it are the ones that stay close to their core audience. Yeah. I mean, I would echo most of what you said. I think that, um, I still see, um, now I don't know if you have any on your site at all. I've ever done them, but I still see webinars as being very effective. Mm -hmm. Um, typically more on, on demand webinars that people can get into right away. Um, but the, the, the trick with that, that I see is that because so many people do webinars now, it's especially important that they're really, 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 really good, really, really good. Uh, and please, for the love of all that's holy, get rid of those stupid, like no controls where you can't fast forward through stuff. I, I, do those work for anybody? Like the, like, yes. I know you, they do. Okay. I hate them. If I, if I, if I personally end up in one of those webinars, I click out and I never buy from that person again. Yeah. I think that's a, a pretty normal sentiment for somebody in the marketing space to have. Mm -hmm. Cause we like, we know exactly what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but for example, my piano audience is, um, you know, skew, skews much older. Majority mm -hmm. of my audience is over 60 years old and, um, is not in the marketing space and doesn't, uh, regularly attend webinars. Mm -hmm. And we have not allowed them to fast forward, move ahead, all that mm -hmm. for years. And mm -hmm. we get zero complaints. Like it's, but we make like the zero. webinar itself. Is you get zero, zero. complaints. Zero. That's, that's incredible. Um, yeah. okay. Have you tested a like fully interactive video with controls versus, uh, a, a no control video. Uh, no, we probably should do that. One thing that I have tested is we used to use ever webinar to mm -hmm. execute the webinar and got away from that about three years ago. Cause ever web, you know, we had the whole fake chat thing. Like we had all that yucky stuff and now it's a video on a page mm -hmm. and you've got to click it for it to begin, but we turn, we've got the controls turned off. And then when the right point in the webinar where I present the offer comes up, that's when the button shows up underneath the video for you to actually buy. Interesting. That's how it works. So it's an on-demand webinar. There's zero pretending it's live at all, um, but it's, a, it's an effective webinar, right? We run, we run through the progress, and by the time they get to the offer, they, be, they actually believe they could learn piano in 21 days. And um, 
and you know, hopefully buy. But nice. I, you know, I like doing split testing, and that sounds like a very reasonable thing to split test because I get like I'm with you. Like if I see like I I want to watch it at double speed or skip ahead or I want to be able to do that myself. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, your point about your audience not being the same person as me. Uh, as, as us is, is a really good one and something that I have to constantly remind myself of because I listen to podcasts and everything else at one and a half to two speed, right? Uh, I don't listen to it. Like I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I listen to all of them at one and a half to two X speed. And, uh, it drives my wife insane. Uh, like if she's, if she's with me when I'm listening to an audiobook, uh, if I don't have headphones on, it drives her insane. Uh, so I have to remember that not everybody's like me. Do you, uh, my, I think my favorite Chrome extension of all time is called video speed controller. Do you have that installed? Uh, something similar. Yeah. Yeah. So any video ever on the internet, no matter where it is, you can speed up. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, so I'm with you on that, but you know, I think part of the reason that I haven't even tried, um, changing my webinar video is because of how I have it set up to where when you hit a certain timestamp in the video, the button shows up. And so if you happen to skip at, skip over that timestamp, you'll never get the buy button. Well, okay. So that's like an engineering problem, right? Like that is if they skip to X point in the video or any point after, mm. then okay. the button then Fair. the button should trigger. Fair. But you know, uh, don't fix it if it's not broke, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like if you're if your business is thriving and things are going well, awesome. Like don't listen to me. Yeah, no, I, I, but, but your point is well taken, but in general, like webinars, I'm still seeing working as long as they're effective webinars, right? I see some, I see some stinkers. People are like, it's a lot of half-assed webinars out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, people will be like, webinar funnels don't work. You know, mine's not working. It's like, well, your webinar's not any good. Right? I suck at presenting. That's why. Yes, exactly. Um, and then more and more, I think more so today than, you know, a few years ago, having more interactive components, especially community involved with a course is definitely, uh, preferable, uh, and more prevalent. How are you doing? How are you seeing people do community now? Because like back in the day, it was just a Facebook group, right? And that was easy. And now, uh, a lot of people hate Facebook and, uh, a lot of people have left Facebook. Uh, but you ask people to join discord and they're like, what the hell is discord? Uh, so how are you seeing people manage communities? Yep. So it very much depends on your niche and your audience. So I can give you a few examples. Um, with my piano course, when I first started, I did WordPress, uh, in 2016, I switched to click funnels. Mm -hmm. And so I had all of my funnels and my courses on click funnels. Mm -hmm. And then in 20, um, 2020, uh, late 2020, I'm like, all right, I'm going to, you know, this has been pretty successful, but now I'm going to make it the greatest thing in the world. And I'm like, how can I, how can I get my, uh, and, and I had my Facebook group, um, my community in a Facebook group. I was like, how can I get my courses and my community all in the same place and have some other interactive components like uh, live stream and wrap that all up into a branded app. And I was just tr- going to try to make the coolest thing ever. And so the solution that I moved to in late 2020 was a WordPress based solution again, where I use learn dash and buddy boss and I brought it all together and I had some custom stuff done. Um, it turns out that was a big mistake. <laughs> I, I almost did the same thing. I got, uh, all the way to the point of signing a contract 
with a company to move all of my stuff to the exact same setup that you just described. And then I backed out at the last minute. Um, well, where, why, what, why do you think it's on? Uh, we're, we're, um, so it's WordPress, uh, but we don't use like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like all of our course materials are on WordPress in learn dash, but we didn't use, we, we never implemented buddy boss and we didn't put our community, uh, on the site. So our community is stuck between, um, uh, Instagram or not Instagram. It's stuck between our Facebook group and our, and a discord group that we have. Mm -hmm. It's not ideal. Some artists hate it. Some artists love it. Uh, but our, especially our advanced artists are all about discord. They love that. Um, and Facebook chat for some reason, they all decided Mm -hmm. to start a Facebook chat. Uh, but a lot of our earlier career artists or artists who are still struggling to sell, uh, we're still struggling to find the right community solution for them. So what did you end up doing in, uh, yeah, well, when that didn't work? There's a, well, there's a couple of reasons, uh, that it was a mistake. One is, is just, it was a very bloated WordPress solution and mm-hmm. one thing would break and it, there wasn't a great way to fix it because mm-hmm. you go contact the plugin maker and they blame all the other plugins, mm-hmm. right? And then you've got to manage your own server and, uh, you know, one thing would update and it would kill something else. Mm-hmm. So from a tech perspective, it was a giant nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then it was a mistake to put the community inside of there. Mm-hmm. And it's because of my audience for this particular niche, a Facebook group is perfect for them. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect for them. Yeah. So it was only about a month or two ago that we actually, we took all of the courses and moved them onto Kajabi. Mm-hmm. And then I never killed the original Facebook group. So I just like revived it mm-hmm. and, and killed the community, you know, cause, cause, uh, they're not logging into the same place anymore. So they log in, all they see is their courses and a link to the Facebook group. Super simple. Whereas before it was just, there were so many things. I had this road path thing and I had a practice tracker and I, and the events, and it was just like, I thought I was developing this amazing world-class thing yep. and it was just too complex, too complicated. And now we're back to a much simpler where the like content and the course can shine more and they, and it's a more effective community. Now is a Facebook group, the right community place for the majority of people? Probably not. Yeah, probably not for my online course guy. Um, you know, coaching program that I have absolutely not putting that community on Facebook ever. We use a, we use a Kajabi community for that. Mm-hmm. Is it just like a forum? It's kind of like a forum. Um, you have any experience with Kajabi? Uh, not for a long time. Not since they released yeah. Kajabi two or whatever it is. Yeah. So they have a they have um, they have a, a community feature. They just released a new community feature. So they kind of have two versions, and I'm still in the old version because it's simpler and easier. <laughs> so and that it works. Um, the one one I really like the look of. In fact, I'm I got a custom Kajabi theme made by somebody based on. Um, school. Have you heard of school? S K O O L. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, it's made by Sam Ovens. I really like school, and I'm mm-hmm. and it, see what what I'm finding is that uh, online course software is starting to add community. Community mm-hmm. software is starting to add online courses, mm-hmm. um, but school is one of the ones that I feel like is developed on the backbone of both. Interesting. And they do a really good job 
of being focused on the people and the community and the course content, um, they're still, they're, they're newer. So they're lacking some key features that I would like to see, but that's kind of the reasons I like some, something like that, you know, like circle is a really cool community platform Ah. and they're, and they're adding courses, Mm -hmm. but together, like it's still a little clunky. Um, Kajabi is a course platform. They're adding communities. It's still a little clunky. You know, I'm, I try to keep a close eye on it. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'll check this out. Uh, circle is really cool. I, I, I have played around with circle a little bit. Uh, when I was working with productive flourishing a couple years ago, uh, we did some experiments with circle. I don't know what they ended up doing with it. Uh, after I, after we stopped working together, but, uh, that was, I like, I like circle. It's pretty cool. You mentioned uh, very early on in the conversation about not, um, I forget the exact wording you used, but um, something about something negative about the phrase passive income. Oh, <laughs> why don't you, why don't you elaborate on that? Um, passive income is a bit of a lie. Uh, the, the way that passive income, like info products get sold is, uh, you know, set it and forget it. And if you have passive income, you'll never have to work again. It's a little bit of, a little bit of that salesmanship that happens. Uh, but passive is, uh, totally relative, right? Like if you're, if you are becoming a landlord, there's a lot of people who sell courses on becoming a landlord because being a landlord is passive income. You own the property, you pay a, a property management company to take care of the property and you just collect checks, except, uh, you know, not all property property management companies are created equal and, uh, properties require additional investment going forward. Uh, they, you know, they get damaged. They, a tenant destroys a unit, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, humans are humans and, uh, you have to repair those things. So passive is, uh, for the most part, not really true. Right. Um, the closest thing that I see to passive income is we have some reviews that we've written about certain tools that continue to generate traffic and affiliate sales. So we wrote a blog post once X number of years ago and, you know, we update it every couple of years and continue to make affiliate revenue off of that. That's probably as close to passive as I see. Um, but there's probably almost certainly more examples that I'm not thinking of right now. Next, let me ask you a hypothetical question. Okay. Um, the year is still 2023. It's still today, mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. abundant artist doesn't exist. You don't have mm-hmm. an audience, mm-hmm. but you know, every, like you, you, you still have all your knowledge and experience and whatnot. How are you starting an online course business today? Um, it's really hard to answer this without previous biases, right? Uh, like what I did before was I started a blog and the blog turned in, the blog attracted an audience and that turned into a place where I could sell some courses. Uh, so I created an audience that allowed me to, uh, monetize, right? So I would probably do something similar again. I would probably either start a WordPress blog or do something like on Substack or, uh, convert kits creator network and start, just start writing. Um, or maybe video podcasting, right? Like, uh, on YouTube or something, but 
it's so much more crowded now and so much more difficult to get attention uh, that I would probably have to combine that with some pretty heavy duty um, networking and trying to like get in, get my ideas in front of as many other people by appearing on podcasts and all that kind of stuff as I can. But it's just, it's so much more work now than it was when I was coming up. Interesting. Yeah. So you, let me, let me ask it a slightly different way. Would mm-hmm. you start one today? Um, I don't need to, uh, like I don't have the financial imperative that I had before. Um, I am maybe like if I were going to start another business now, uh, it would probably be a product business rather than a course business. Um, I don't have a, a thing, another thing that I want to teach. Right. And I don't, uh, outside of the art industry, I don't really have a strong desire to teach marketing. Um, but I think product businesses are more scalable and more durable um, and less in danger of becoming a commodity, depending on what kind of product you, you make. Um, I am biased towards SaaS businesses, software businesses, because that's where my experience is. Uh, but I've also launched a couple of software businesses that didn't necessarily become huge hits. So, uh, you know, my priors are what they are, but I, I would probably lean towards a product business, but they're still so many course businesses that you could start. And when I say less scalable, less durable, like we're talking about, there's still tons of opportunities to create a six figure course business. There's so many topics that are poorly covered in terms of courses. So uh, for those who are listening, like, I don't want to, I don't want that to be a discouragement. I'm in a very different place than somebody who is preparing to start their first business. Yes, that, that is fair. I was, was worried the direction we were going there, you know, on the online course show, Yeah, yeah but yeah. a nice save there at the end. Yeah. Um, I, I do have a couple of friends, like a couple of friends, uh, people I know who are younger in their, in their twenties, who I have, uh, talked to about starting some online course businesses and those, you know, they're, they're doing stuff that I don't have any expertise in and didn't really know about. And and so they're launching some online courses. And I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Like, uh, like things about like, um, like farming, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not just farming, but like urban uh, farming, urban farming. Yeah. Like urban farming, uh, you know, growing things in, in, in a, inside of a city or, um, like, Think like online courses around things that happen in rural, like more rural areas, right? Like I know a guy who uh, left his day job and bought a rototiller business, uh, and that would never happen in a city. But he lives out in a in the in a rural part of Oregon, and he just bought a bunch of rototillers and rents those out. And it would be really interesting to uh, see some people create some online courses about how to do stuff like that because there's such an untapped market in terms of people who are very online understanding how to help people who are in those less urban parts of the country. Uh, there's, there's just, I think there's a lot of potential there. Okay. Very cool. All right, Corey. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for sharing all your awesome insights. Um, really cool to, to hear your very long online course business story. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. 
A huge thank you to Corey for joining me today. Corey, if you're listening to this, my apologies again for not getting back to you uh, way back a couple years ago, but I'm thrilled that we were able to make this happen. And thank you out there for listening to this episode. For all the links and show notes, please visit oc.show slash 203. And if you want to learn how to go about this whole online course thing and running an online course business effectively, head over to the onlinecourseguy.com for plenty more free resources and training on how to do that. Thanks again. I'll see you next time. Thank you.